So uh, pray for me that my voice holds out. I'm getting over a cold, so I'm a little worried for second service. But like Andrew said, um, when he shared the idea of doing the Shepherd series, almost immediately I asked him, can I do the one on money? And he said yes, and then almost immediately I asked him again, can I have two weeks to talk about money? And he said yes. So now why, why is that? So the pretty much the 2017 year for me was kind of a, a year of financial education. Um, I just started getting really interested in it, and that's kind of how I learned things in my personality. I kind of just follow whatever is interesting to me at the time. So I was reading a lot of books, a lot of things about you know personal finances, um, economics, investing, things like that. And the more and more I dove into it, the more and more I became almost discontent with teaching from the pulpit on money. It just felt inadequate to me, especially in the, the world that we live in now. The disciples, Jesus knew, but the disciples had no idea what kind of economic world we would have been living in today. And, you know, history kind of progresses exponentially, and we're at the tip of that. I mean, Lucille, the 100 years you lived was the fastest, most action-packed 100 years in world history. So much innovation, so much technological growth, unimaginable to what the disciples would have been living in. And But the teaching I was getting, I felt like, okay, the, it's very old compared to the, this digital financial world that we live in now. But it's got to relate because it's not, it's not out of date. It's just old. It's inadequate for where we live. So it's my hope to sort of give a more robust teaching, more foundational teaching on how we should think about money. So what I did was I just started going through the Bible. I started with the Gospels. And I just started going through, and I wrote down every time Jesus talked about money and how he talked about it. How did he think about it? How did he tell people to think about it? And it was in the middle of that that Andrew thought, hey, let's do the Shepherd series and talk about Jesus' teaching on things. So immediately I was like, let me do the one on money. So that's where we'll be for the next two weeks. So this week we're going to have kind of a foundational introduction, kind of wipe the slate clean on what we think about money, and then talk about why you should give money. And then next week, we're going to talk about kind of what money does with your emotions and why they're so connected. So what do I mean by inadequate teaching? I tried to think of the best way to kind of picture this for you. So I found this text, and most of you know it. You don't have to go there. We're going to be in Matthew uh, 6, if you want to turn there. But you don't have to turn to this passage. This is in Matthew 5. This is just to give you a picture of why I was feeling this inadequacy. Here's what Jesus said. This is the Sermon on the Mount, his first, like, major speech to people. He says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. That's good advice. It's good information. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. 
Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So now what, what happens when Jesus enters the picture? He says, before you heard, just do this thing and don't do this thing. So he's saying, do, do something. When, he, when Jesus comes in and when the gospel comes in, he says, now it's about being a type of person. Don't just not kill people. Don't even hate people. It's a, it's a much deeper level. So when I think about the gospel and that Christ has died on the cross for my sins, reconciled me to God and healed that relationship, and then he indwells me with his spirit and empowers me to live a certain way, and I say, oh, wow, okay, what, is, what does that mean for my money? And I hear, well, you give 10%, try to stay out of debt, and just live, you know, a middle-class, responsible life. It just seems inadequate. Like, isn't there more than that? For money, just give 10%, that's it? The gospel's got to mean more to money in my life than that. So that was the driving factor of my devotional life for the past few months. And it's my hope at some point to do maybe like an extended class um, at some point in the future once I wrangle all my thoughts together. So, so know too that this morning and next week, you're getting just little tidbits of what is hours of uh, material in my head. I tried to get just the tip of the iceberg foundational stuff for us. So, we're not going to be talking over the next two weeks <clears throat> about church budget. You need to increase your giving by so much or we're going to end up in the red. So start giving more. We're not going to talk about your personal budget, how much you should put towards what. We're not going to talk about how much you should give or should not give to the church. We're not going to talk about how big your savings cushion should be or how much you should put towards retirement. What we're going to talk about is why when I log on to Wells Fargo and the number is smaller than I thought it was, why is there inside me some sort of just unease and anxiety that comes up? And even on the flip side, almost more dangerous, I think, why when that number is bigger, why is there some sort of sense of security that I have? There shouldn't be. We're going to talk about why does it feel so good to click the add to cart button when you go online shopping? Why does it feel so good to shop, to just walk through a Target? That's where we're going for the next two weeks. But to start, again, we need to lay a foundation of what is money. What is money? How, do, how does it work? Why is it involved in our life? And there are a few things that affect your life more than money and economics. You spend a majority of your week, at least most of us, spend a majority of our week trying to get money, partly because we have to have it to live on. But what is money? So I have a $5 bill. This is all I have in the budget for sermon illustrations. 
uh, $5 bill. You know, it's funny, this is actually, <laughs> we, so that's, that's another thing with money. We never have cash. We're, oh, everything's cards. We never have cash anymore. This was actually, Jen, Jen got this in a card for her birthday. It was a birthday present. <laughs> so I said, hey, can I use that for the sermon? Because <laughs> otherwise I would have had to go get cash from the bank. So what, this is money. This is a bill, is what we call them. And it's worth five U.S. dollars. Now, we use dollars because we're in America. We're in the United States. And this in and of itself has absolutely no value. It, at one point, it did. Up until 1971, U.S. dollars were backed by gold. After 1971, they passed legislation that said, no, you can disconnect it, but then we can make however many we want to sustain our economy. So this has no inerrant value whatsoever. It's not even valuable as paper. Because, I mean, there's so many pictures and writing on it, you can't take notes on it. You could, you could light a fire with it, but you would need like a match or something with it. So it has value there. The only reason this has value is because the United States says this is our standard of transaction. This is what we will use in all business transactions, all economic transactions, is the dollar. And it even says on here, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. So here, here's how that works. We've really streamlined the process in daily life. So here's, here's how that works. When I go to Cub Foods, I'm going through the aisles, dropping stuff into my cart, I'm building up, in a sense, a debt that I owe to Cub Foods. So then I come to the entrance, they've got aisles that I check out in, they run everything through and say, okay, here's how much you owe us, I can pay them the cash, I pay off that debt instantly. That's how shopping works. You build up a quick debt, you pay it off right away. Or you can hand off that debt to another company like American Express, Visa, or something with a credit card. You just use the credit card to pay it, and then the debt moves over here, and then you pay that off later. That's why a dollar is worth something. Because the United States says, this is what we'll do all transactions with. If you want to do anything, exchange anything, it's the dollar. Now, that's neither here nor there, really. Every other countries use different ones. So what's the universal that really matters to us as Christians? And here's, here's what I think it is. The dollar is also a universal value system. Every one of you in this room knows how much $5 is worth. You know roughly what you can get for five bucks. It is a universal value system that everyone in our culture understands. And for a Christian, that's incredibly important. And every, every time you're doing transactions, you're going through the, these value calculations in your head. Let me give you another example. I'm on my way to church early on a Sunday morning. The sun's coming up, and I have this $5 bill in my pocket. And in my head, I'm thinking, and I know that there's a caribou coffee on my way to church. And I think, oh, a caramel high-rise is worth way more than $5 right now. Wait, I'd pay $10 for caramel high-rise. So I pull into the drive-thru, I hand them my $5, they give me the caramel high-rise. 
What happened in my head was that caramel high rise is worth way more than $5. I'm going to exchange it. That's what happens in your head when you're doing transactions, when you're buying things. It's a, it's a judgment of value. And at that caribou, every person in there knows that I value that caramel high rise for $5 or more. If they charged 10 I probably would have paid it. So, and even, I mean, at every level, this happens. Even if you go somewhere and you say, oh, well, I can't afford that. I really want it, but I can't afford it. Well, what, what you're thinking through is you find more value in keeping that money and that cushion in your checking account than buying that TV or whatever. That cushion is a lot more value to you than buying that television. Even though you want that television, but when you say, oh, you know, I just can't afford it, well, you could. You could go get a credit card. You could go buy it. But the value of having that cushion, not having debt, is more than what that TV is. In the same sense, if you're forced to buy something, like a car repair, you go in and, well, you know, I have to do it, and you pay the 600 bucks or whatever. It's not that you have to do it. I mean, if you didn't have a car, you wouldn't die. So you don't have to. But the value of having a working operating vehicle that you can use anytime that you want is a major value. And that's worth forking over that 600 bucks so you can have that operating vehicle again. Those are the calculations that go on. And the dollar is simply a standard value system that we all operate on. And when you buy something or you give money to something, people know exactly what monetary value you put on it. And that's very important for us as Christians. So, the, oh yeah, I forgot I have a PowerPoint. Let's see if this works here. Maybe not. You can go to the, there we go. So, here's, here's the first thing that you need to realize. Money is the simplest, most common, most tangible way for us to show value and worth to something. And everyone can see it clearly. Everyone's operating on the same value system. So keep that in your head as we now look at what Jesus says about money. You don't have to follow me through these. I'm going to read just a bunch of passages and stories that Jesus has about money. Um, like I said, you don't have to follow me through these. I'll, I'll tell you the text. But just close your eyes and listen to Jesus' teaching. And think through this idea of value. How do I display what I'm valuing? Matthew 13, 44 through 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went, sold all that he had, and bought the pearl. Do you see the, the value calculation? What's worth more? That treasure's worth more than everything I have. Sell it all, buy the treasure. Mark 12, 41 through 44 
And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. It's about value, not how much. Mark 26, or Matthew 26, 6 through 13. Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask, a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the world, what she has done will also be told in her memory. Matthew 19, 16 through 30. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love the neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect... Go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It wasn't about what he did, it was about what he valued. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for, the, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? We, we kind of fall into this too. We think, well, wealth is blessing. If the people who are blessed have a hard time, well, then who, who can make it? They have the same thinking kind of operating. Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, see we have left everything and followed you, what then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who followed me will also sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And then our text for this morning that we're going to spend time in, Matthew 6, 19 through 24. You can turn there. 
Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So let's dig in to Matthew 6, 19-24. That first verse is pretty plain, hard to argue against. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. It is very easy to lose money in the world. And there's no such thing as a sure investment. Even, uh, even my Karma High Rise, once I pass that $5 through that drive through window, there's no guarantee I'm getting my caramel high rise. There's been, there's been plenty of times where they've forgotten the caramel. It's just a latte at that point. So there's no, there's no sure investments in the world. You can easily lose money. So Jesus is saying, don't, don't put everything here. You can lose it. So he goes on. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. This is something that only Christians can do. This is one of the, one of the issues I have with teaching on money. Give 10%, stay out of debt. I don't have to be a Christian to do that. Anyone can give 10% to the church. You give 25% to the church. But only people who are regenerated by the gospel and filled with the Spirit of God can put their treasures in heaven. If, if you're not regenerated by the Spirit, if you don't believe the gospel, you can't put any treasures in heaven because you'll never be there. So Jesus is saying, put your value, put your treasure, the things that you value, send them towards heaven. Don't store them up here. And that's foundational to why we give. And we'll get a little deeper into it in a second here. This uh, makes me think of Hebrews 11. We were just in Hebrews. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Part of an expression of our faith is to act on things that have no tangible proof. And when you do that with your money, people look. Because that's weird. Why would you give away money? Why would you give away value and not get anything back. That's a huge statement to the world. Let's go a little farther. 
verse 21. Now, this is key. I challenge you to spend a lot of time thinking about this verse. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's the principle that I get from that. And it it can go either way. This can either be really good for you or really bad. But here's the principle I get from it. The thing you value most has the power to lead your heart in any direction. If your treasure is money, you will spend your life, you will spend your time trying to position yourself to get more of it. That's what you spend your time on. Your, your bandwidth goes toward, okay, how do, I, how do I get more money? How do I move this investment? Can I get a better job? Can I do this? Can I do that? If God is your treasure, kingdom of heaven is your treasure, you will spend the majority of your life trying to figure out how can I make God look good and valuable. And money is just one avenue that lets you do it. What you value most has the power to lead your heart. So, here's the interesting thing, too. If you can use this to your advantage. Example, if you find that you're lacking interest and care in missions, why don't you try giving more money to it? You might start caring quite a bit more. If you find yourself kind of lacking interest in in church, start giving more money to it. Then you might pique your interest. Because what you value most leads your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart goes. It's flowing that way. And if there are times where Well, he goes on to talk about it. Verse 22. And this is one of those weird verses that I have to chalk up towards translation strangeness with Greek to English. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I think what he's talking about here is kind of perception, what you see, how, you, how you're viewing the world. The, eye, the way you view things makes you operate correctly. It's the light of the body. The, the word healthy, there, that Greek word, it, it's kind of, it has the meaning of like single, sing, single-minded, one pursuit, one direction. So if the eye is, is focused, that might be a better way to say it. If the eye is focused, your whole body will be full of light. So there, there are times, especially financially, because there's just so many things coming at us, where you are all over. 
just, you know, trying to hoard things, buying stuff. Everything makes you go in tracks all over the place. But if you're singly focused in your financial life, everything just seems to fall into place. And it ties in with your heart. If all your treasures are going one way, and that's heavenward, there's a a singular direction that your whole life, your whole heart goes in that direction. That's why it's important to give. We don't give to keep the church open. Don't, don't think that you better give your paycheck or the church might close its doors. Christ will build His church. It may not be in this building, but the gospel will always win, with or without your paycheck. God doesn't need your money. What He needs is a person whose heart is bent on heaven. And money is nothing. That's just one way I get to show off who God is. He doesn't need money. He needs, people's who, he needs people whose hearts are radically God-centered and who treasure heaven, not money. And the way, to, the way to break that, the way to break our attachment to, to things in the world is to give it away. And another thing that that accomplishes is an incredible testimony to people who see it. Our, our tax guys that we go to ought to have amazing stories of Christians who give so much money away that causes their tax person to sit back and be like, okay, what are, what are you doing? I told you, you don't need to give any more because you won't get any more of a refund. They ought to have amazing stories of Christians. The way we give is a loud testimony to anyone who sees our financial life. And it's because we operate on a standard value system. Everyone knows what it means when I give $100 to a missionary every month. There are a few other things in your life that are so clear and so simple that can be seen when it comes to showing how valuable gospel work is. Money is an easy way to do it. Give it away. It is about operating not in, okay, how much of my income do I get? Do I tithe off of my, my gross or before taxes? Or uh, It's about, okay, what do I value? What do I value? If I look at my life, does it yell, this person values God more than other things? A couple closing questions. These are just kind of food for thought for you to think about. 
So when looking at your budget, again, don't, don't just look at, am I giving 10% to the church? Look at your whole financial life and say, does this look like a life that treasures God? Does this look like a life whose value is placed on heavenly things, not earthly things? Now, there's some gray area in this when you're looking at practical stuff. I mean, you have to eat. God's called you to live here, and houses here are very expensive. So a lot of your budget's going to be going to the mortgage. So there are things like that where, yeah, you've got to spend money on food. But we live in a unique time in history, a time where we have this thing called discretionary income. That has not always been the case. That's a modern invention, by the way. Discretionary income. That's money that is not assigned to anything. You can do whatever you want with it. And that is a very, that's a battleground for the Christian. And we're going to get more into that next week on what goes on in our heart when we get money that's not assigned and it's, we can do whatever we want. What happens at that moment? And where, where does our heart then go immediately? So take a look at, your, look at your whole life, your whole financial life, and think to yourself, is this the picture of someone who values God more than anything? That's how we should go about budgeting as Christians. Second one, does the way you spend your money look different than the rest of the world? Or do you fit in very well? to middle-class America. And along those lines, has the pursuit of middle-class American living been an idol? That was one of the things I, th- I was thinking about, and the more and more I read Jesus' teaching, the more and more I realized he doesn't call us to be safe with our money. He calls us to be radically God-centered with our money. And yes, there are times and there is a lot of wisdom in keeping a savings cushion for rainy day fund. Because yes, cars are going to break down, furnaces are going to break down, and you got to pay for them. So you might as well plan for it. But when you have that extra $100 every month laying around, where does it go? Does it go to you or does it go to God? God calls us to be radically heaven-centered, God-centered with our money, funneling through us into missions into ministries, into the church, so that when people look, if they have the opportunity to look at our finances, they see, wow, you are simply a conduit 
that God gives resources to, and they flow right back into his work. They don't come into your life and then stop, and a little bit leaks out into the church. It's just a flowing river of heaven-centered resources pouring out. And when that happens, there's joy. It severs that heart problem with our heart being drawn towards things. If you give it away, your heart goes that direction, towards God. We live in an incredibly unique time in economic history. We have, like I said, things called discretionary income. What do you do with it? We have an abundance of wealth that's hard to realize, even in comparison to the rest of the world right now. Absolute abundance of wealth. What I want us to realize is that we are also in the best position in history to be able to give mass amounts to the work of God and the gospel and demonstrate in a practical, monetary sense how valuable gospel work is and how valuable God is. That's the time that we live in history. So giving does two things for you in closing. It does two things for you. Giving will lead your heart back to God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Giving leads your heart back to God and the things of the gospel. That's why we give. It leads us back to God. It, it shows ourselves that our main sustainer is God, not money. It severs that heart connection with things, and it leads us back to God. And secondly, it declares to the world what you really value. Looking at your life, financially, it ought to say this person values the gospel, values God. So next week, we're going to be taking those ideas. We all operate on the same value system. We give because it leads us back to God. And we give because it declares a clear value of God. We're going to take that and we're going to take the big wrench of emotions and throw it into the spinning wheel and look at why are we so connected to money emotionally? And what does that do? Why does it feel so good to buy things for me? So that's where we're going to be headed next week. So now we're going to move into a time of communion. And this is, you know, we really only have two sacraments, if you will, that we do as a church. Giving every Sunday and communion. Communion is a similar thing. It realigns your heart to what the gospel is. So as you take communion... Think through the value of the gospel and the gift 
that it is to be cleansed of your sins and to now be able to live with having a deeper security than money. You're no longer attached to it. We have stations up at the front and one in the middle. In the back, you can get up and take them as you wish. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your provision. I thank you for what you have given us. And God, I ask that you would continually remind us that we do not need to give because the church needs money. We need to give to help ourselves realize that we don't need money. Help us to use money correctly in a way that aligns our hearts to you and not away from you. Help us to be singularly focused with our finances in a way that leads our heart back to you. It's an incredible instrument and we thank you for the gift, especially for the we thank you for the abundance that you've given to us and we ask that you would protect us because it is a dangerous tool and it is so easy to misuse. Lord, I ask that you would help us remember the gospel clearly this morning as we finish out our service. In Jesus' name, amen.